The Lord truly is good, is He not? How many sins have you committed that He has forgiven? All of them. I think we forget at times the seriousness of sin and how it's just overlooked because of God's mercy and His grace that He's bestowed upon us. But our sin was enough, just one of them, to put Him to the cross for His blood to spill out. So it is a serious thing and judgment has to come upon that sin. But I praise God today, this morning, I praise Him that He is good. Because that judgment did not have to come upon us. It went to Jesus Christ. And on Jesus Christ it rested. And it rested on Him to the point of death. Even death on the cross. Thereby setting us free from those sins that we so readily overlook. How many sins do we overlook in a day's time? One? Two? Fifty? Do we overlook them? Do we look past them and say, well, He's merciful? We need to take it serious. We need to take it serious. The last time I checked, when Christ was on the cross, He took it serious. It was for serious crimes that He was put there. Our crimes. Not His. Ours. It was serious things, serious wrongs that was placed upon Him. And He took it serious and we need to take sin serious. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. The church, in its early infant stage here in the New Testament takes it serious. They see it and they view it as a a warning. We looked at that last week. We left off with truly a sad but true story. It was sad, but it was extremely true. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Spirit. And this story still serves the church today. It still serves us today as it did then. What were they doing? They were were lusting after the riches of the world. This is a warning for the church. They were lusting after the riches of the world. And ladies and gentlemen, this will get you dead real quick. It'll cause you to lose your joy with the Lord very quickly. It'll cause you to overlook simple sins that at one time we flinched at, but now we are not even embarrassed of. It's a call for the church to examine, a call for the church to look to the Lord and be careful before Him. God's judgment poured out on these two and struck them dead.
It is a warning still for the church today that when we come boldly before the throne of mercy to offer a sacrifice of praise, to do anything before the Lord, our hearts need to be in a proper position to do that. And that's in a position of brokenness, being contrite. Yes, it says boldly we can approach. But as I have said before, we better do it humbly. I got two dogs at the house. Brother Nelson gave them to me. Gave them to the kids. And they're as wild as jackrabbits. Wild. You turn them loose and they're the fastest dogs you'll ever see in your life. But that brown dog, when I walk up to her, and I stand there and I say, you come here to me. She crawls on her belly before she comes to me. Now, I didn't tell her to do that. I didn't spank her and make her do that. But I noticed the other day that as I called for her, I said, you come here to me. In that tone, she got on her stomach and crawled to my feet. Kind of as if she was keeping one eye on me and one eye on the ground at the same time. And I got a picture of what it's like for us to humbly come before the Lord. Understanding that He is holy and that He is in the heavens. And we need to know our place. We do. We need to know our place. Yes, He is good. But that is not an excuse for sin. That is not an excuse for, well, he is good, so let us just sin so he can enact his mercy and we can have forgiveness. No, it is, he is good because he is always good. He is always good. Well, one thing that we have to understand is that there is judgment as well. We have to remember that, yes, we have a gracious and a merciful God that we serve. Yes, Jesus is the great mediator that stands between us and him. Yes, he is there and we are here. And we have to know our proper position. Before we move off of this, Ananias and Sapphira, because this was serious in the New Testament church, I want to give you one more example before we go. One more example before we leave this judgment. And I can't get off of Ananias and Sapphira until I do. Turn with me to Joshua in chapter 6. We know this story. Most of us, maybe some of us, I don't know. It's one that I'm very familiar with. Have been for a long time. It's It's a story of warning. Joshua in chapter 6. What's happening in Joshua chapter 6? Well, the fall of Jericho was taking place, right? And the Lord had given them certain instructions, some of which was what to do with the spoils of war. What to do with the spoils of war. Remember, Ananias and Sapphira, the early church, Adam and Eve, the beginning of humanity. 
You had Nadab and Abihu where they go out into the wilderness and there they begin to serve God. The infancy of that church there in the Old Testament as they begin to worship the Lord collectively. And here we have something new as well. It's the first fruits of the land of Canaan. They are coming into the promised land, the land that God promised them that they were going to come into. Now they are coming into it. And the Lord's going to lay some things out real quick for them. Because he wants to get their attention and he wants them to know that this is serious. And so he's going to give us a standard to go by. An example, a warning. Listen to what it says in chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. Verse 17, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. Turn to verse 24. Listen to what happens as they move on. After all this is taking place, it says, And they burn the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the, harlot, Rahab the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Go with me to chapter 7 beginning in verse 10. I'm going through this really fast because I want you to see what happens in the progression of what is taking place. In chapter 7, 1 through 9, Israel gets very cocky. They say, we've taken over, we've won Jericho. We'll just send 3,000 men over there to battle Ai. Little did they know that there was a man by the name of Achan that had sinned. And he had sinned bad. And so they send men out there very, very arrogantly. And they get their rear ends handed to them. 36 men are killed. The rest of them come fleeing back to the camp with their tails stuck between their legs. The enemy seeing their backs. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, but there was a reason why it happened. Let's see what the reason was. Look at verse 11. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. Because they broke a covenant, covenant judgment was about to fall. Listen to what happens. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They said, he says, this is why you were beaten at Ai. 
Because there is sin in the camp. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourself for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Turn to 19. Fourteen through eighteen, they are casting lots, and it just keeps falling to one family, and then they keep narrowing it down and narrowing it down, and then it finally comes to the man, and this is what he was—a man. Beginning in verse nineteen through twenty-one, listen to what it says. Then Joshua said to Achan. My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. Remember. This was the first fruits of it. This was the first fruits of the promised land. They were just coming in to take it, take it over. Just as the early church, just as they were in the wilderness, and just as Adam and Eve there in the garden. And sin brings forth death, doesn't it? Listen to what happens. He says, This is what I did, verse 21. When I saw among the spool a beautiful cloak from from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. What did he do? He stole from the Lord and he lied about it. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua, he does what he's supposed to do. He sends messengers and they go and find it just as Joshua, or just as Achan says it was. In verse 24, listen to what happens at 24 and 25. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons, listen to me, listen to what happens. Not just Achan but everything that belonged to him because they broke the covenant that they made with the Lord covenant judgment rained down upon their family listen to what happens Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters do you see how sin affects the family Do we see that? Because daddy got it wrong. Daddy got it wrong. And the family pays for it. Listen to what happens. Not just that. His sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and his sheep and his tent... And all that he had, everything that belonged to Achan, 
They brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why do you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. All of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Do we see how serious sin is? It's a call to holiness and a call to righteousness. And it makes me tremble on the inside when I read passages like this. Because I am not perfect. I have made many mistakes. And as the head of my house... It hurts me to know the truth of Scripture that says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. Achan sowed destruction. And he received destruction. Achan lied to the Lord. He stole and he received it back fourfold on him and his family. They stoned him. He lusted after what was supposed to to be the Lord's. He stole it and he hid it. And he was found out in every person and everything that belonged to him was absolutely destroyed. What if the men took this seriously when it came to their, their own families? Just the men. i tell you what would happen. There wouldn't be an empty seat in here. That's what would happen. Because men would be bringing their families and men would be repenting. Asking forgiveness of sins that they had committed to the Lord. This is very serious. As God's chosen people started their new journey into the promised land. They had a huge victory over Jericho. Huge victory. Just as the early church did. Remember when the early church had a huge victory? 3,000 were saved and then 8,000 were saved. Remember that? They had a huge victory over Jericho and then God's fiery anger burned against them because of the sin of Achan. What was the Lord doing? He was... He is serving up judgment as a warning and a reminder to God's elect to walk the righteous path. To be like Barnabas, not Ananias and Sapphira. To be like Barnabas, not Achan. Do we see that? From Adam and Eve to Nadab and Abihu to Achan and his whole family to Ananias and Sapphira. These judgments serve us as a strong warning to the church that God will not be mocked. 
Whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. And I do not leave myself out of this category. I'm not a perfect man. But I praise God I've been saved by His perfect grace and His perfect love. Verse 11, I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 5. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 5. I want you to see what happened after God, and this is, you know, this, this is a hard message. It's hard for me to preach because it pertains to me just as it pertains to you. Verse 11, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5. And great fear came upon the whole ecclesia. The whole church. And upon all who heard of it. Great fear. A holy reverence of caution and warning. To righteous hearts followed by right living. And we cannot forget this. Just because it happened 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that we're not to be careful before the Lord. You see people that on TV or in these different movements, especially a lot in the charismatic movements where people are running around acting crazy. They're prophesying this and they're prophesying that. None of which lines up with God's Word. And we have to be very careful about what we offer up unto the Lord or what we keep from Him. It's still a call to examine our lives today. It's a call to examine our lives today, a call to purity, a call to righteousness. And I'll be the first to tell you I'm guilty. I am. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He didn't tell them to do that. This is the second letter he has written to the Corinthians. He didn't tell them to do that when they got saved. He told them to do that every day. To examine our lives, to examine our hearts every day to see whether we're in the faith. Not because we doubt it, but it's because in sanctification we're to be working this stuff out. Growing more like Christ in his image and who he is. Then we have Peter. He also tells us this. 2 Peter 1 and 10 tells us to be all the more diligent. Listen to what he says. What was that? 2 Peter 1 and 10. To be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. 
What calling and election? That of justification and righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 19. Listen to what it says. 14 through 19. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you shall also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as the father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, while you're here, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. Like a lamb without blemish or spot. If, you, if you've ever committed a sin, currently involved in sin, or have lost your joy because of sin, turn with me to the book of Psalms for just a moment. We have been praying Scripture And I can't, I can't move past this text until we, until we get everything out of it that we can. Psalm chapter 51. I want to read this. I want you to apply it to your own heart. This is, this is King David. When he had sinned greatly with Bathsheba... When he had lied, when he murdered. This was a man after God's own heart, but yet he had sinned. And we know that in David's life, the repercussions of that sin were great all the way through. Let's read what it says. Have mercy on me, O God. Now I want you to do this. This is what I want you to do. Because as I pray this scripture, even for myself, I want you to pray it for yourself as well. I want you to read it and I want you to apply it to your own heart as well. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a heart in Psalms 51 that is full of regret, that is full of grief, that is full of shame, that is full of guilt. A heart that has lost its pure joy. A heart that has become shaky, a heart that has become scared because of sin. So as I read this, I want you to apply it to your life as I apply it to mine. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. You see, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord, is crying out for mercy. He begins with a plea. 
And he begins to plead to the only and true God whose love is steadfast and enduring forever. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret place. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You see what's going on here? This man had lost his joy. He had lost what was so precious to him. His fellowship with the Almighty God of heaven and earth. He didn't lose his relationship. He had lost his fellowship with the Lord. And he comes back to him and he falls down at his feet. And he says, forgive me. For I am a sinner. I'm wicked. I'm ruined. I am undone. And all of us, all of us should be praying this right now. Because I think at times we forget. Not just big things, but the little things. Our little actions. Our little words. Our little thoughts can turn into great destruction. And so this is a call, this is a cry, a plea for us to return to the Lord. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. Let us think about this. I have sinned, Lord. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Restore me to where I was before. Remove this thorn. Remove this stench. You know, Christians can get in a pretty bad state, can't they? Amen or a no? Amen. Amen. Christians can get in a pretty bad state. We get out there in left field and forget, forget who saved us and what He's done for us and how serious those little sins are, how they made Him bleed, how they caused crushing judgment to be poured out on Him. Verse 8, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This was a man who was under the judgment of God. 
whose heart was broken. It was, he was humbled by the heavy hand, the right arm of the Lord. He says, my bones are crushed. They are broken. That you have broken. You have been chastised by the Lord. You ever been broken by the Lord over something that you've done? By show of hands, please. If you double-timed it, double-time it. Both hands up if you have. I've been there and I've done this. Where I've been crushed, where I've been broken by the Lord. Where he comes in and he whips and he, and he, and he smites me on the rear end and he says, You are wrong. And because I love you, and because my love is steadfast, I am going to punish you. You ever been punished by the Lord? This is serious stuff. This is not anything to take lightly, and we do so often. When's the last time that... You didn't put him in first place. That's a sin. When was the last time we let everything else cloud our judgment and he doesn't get the preeminence that he deserves? It's called idolatry and it's wrong. So we see that we all are deserving of death and we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Listen, I mean, listen to what he says. David says, hide your face from my sins. And we pray that. Lord, hide your face from our sins and blot out our, all our iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David, he is begging and he is pleading with the Lord. Have you begged and have you pleaded with the Lord before? I have. The reason why this is so important is because the early church, the Lord left them an example. The example was Ananias and Sapphira. Don't do this. This is a warning. Don't live like this. And then we see all these other people that do, like King David. Listen to what verse 12 says. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You lost your joy? If you've lost your joy in Christ, there's a good chance that it's because of sin. Forgiveness, repentance must be sought after. God's face must be sought after. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This goes to show you that as a Christian, you can lose your joy. 
that everyday joy that we have, it can grow very small. Where we're walking along like a bunch of Eeyores. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. And the reason woe is me is because woe has too many sins. Woe has not asked for forgiveness for these sins. And we know that they're covered under the blood. We understand that. But there is still a separation that takes place in our fellowship with the Almighty. I know this is a hard sermon. I know that it is not easy and it's not full of rose-colored glasses. But God didn't call me to do that. Have you lost your joy? Have we lost our joy? Has our steadfastness become shaky? Have we lost our zeal? Have we become stagnant? Have we become dry? Have we lost our great reverence for the Lord Almighty? Acts chapter 5 and verse 11 is a reminder that we should have a reverence, a holy caution reverence for the Almighty. Acts 5.11 is to get us to examine ourselves. Do you realize that when Ananias and Sapphira were struck down by the Lord, the people feared the Lord with a holy reverence. And we're still to have that same holy reverence today. Are we in line with God's Word? If you've heard me tell you to examine your life once, you've heard me tell you to examine your life, my life, 50,000 times. Because that's what He calls us to. While we're on this planet, after salvation, it is a call of sanctification. And it doesn't happen once. It is the rest of our lives. It doesn't go away when we uh, receive Christ. No, that's when it begins. And we're to be examining our life until we go to be with Christ. Is the Spirit of God leading us? Is there evident fruit in our lives? Examination is crucial. And before we leave, Acts 5 and 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. I do believe that Christians across our country, I know, have lost, and I'm not saying all, but have lost a a holy reverence and a holy fear before the Lord. And the only way to restore that is to have a broken and a contrite heart. The only way to restore that is to humbly come before Him. Confess your sins to Him. If you're a child of God. Confess your sins to Him. And say, restore in me a right spirit 
Restore my joy so that I may be able to go and to teach and to preach to others. And that's, that's what David was doing. He wanted to be able to tell other people about the wonders of God. You'll read the rest of that text, that's what he's talking about. He wants to be able in good conscience to go out and to preach and to tell people about the love of the Lord. This is why he's begging for forgiveness. Because he loves him. Ask the Lord to restore your heart this morning. If you've lost your joy, your zeal, your boldness, ask Him to restore it. If you've sinned and you know that, please don't tell me. I'm not a priest. I I can't forgive you of your sins before the Lord. I I can't do that. If you want to tell me, I mean, I can listen. (laughs) But I have a lot of my own. Go to the Lord in humility and ask Him and say, Lord, forgive me for I've sinned. Remember, He struck down Ananias and Sapphira. He struck down Achan. He struck down Nadab and Abihu. And you say, well, he didn't strike down Adam and Eve. Did he not? They were perfect. Sent into the world and they died. we got to take sin serious. Starts with me and it has to start with you. It has to start with the church. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's pray.